Thanks, Andy. Hard act to follow with the harp this morning, but um, you, you put my son to sleep, so I don't know where you were at 5am this morning, but um, we needed you. Uh, but that was beautiful music, so we, I really appreciated that. Um, just before I get started this morning, I just want to um, say thank you to those people who um, pray, for those of us who speak. I'm, an, I'm in the amateur, I'm a civil engineer by trade. Um, but I've had a number of people say they'd be praying for me through the week and a number of people who are um, encouraging me in that and uh, usually I find that people are very encouraging here. So I just wanted to um, say thank you for that. Uh, for those of you who haven't been here, we've been studying the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Um, it's been a great study. I'm going to call my beautiful assistant up, Andy. you found someone else with. Grab the sheet, man. Um, He's a brother-in-law so I have to be nice to him. Most of you at the back won't be able to see this chart um, but we'll have it available afterwards. But basically we've been looking at um, the first 11 chapters and in terms of human history, the first 11 chapters of Genesis cover approximately a third of human history. So it's just incredible that these 11 chapters um, cover the period sort of from Adam here, all these guys living almost a thousand years all, all the way down through to the end of Noah's lifespan and of course uh, chapter 11, 10 and 11 go on to describe down to Abraham, a- Abram here and this goes through to Jesus but just that we've got in the first 11 chapters, thanks Andy, um, this huge span of human history, almost 2,000 years. So in, in individual chapters of the first 11 chapters of Genesis you'll see you know, time spans jump you know, 500 years, 100 years, 30 years. In our, in our chapter today, chapter 9, um, we see that there might have been 20 or 30 years involved um, in the story. But we'll do a quick recap on Garth's message last week. Uh, we saw that leading up to the flood, there was just incredible violence and wickedness and corruption on the earth. I don't think it's possible for us to really comprehend what, was, what that was like. Um, but it's God's opinion of it uh, was that the earth was so full of evil that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all the time. If we had have lived then, we may not have agreed with that assessment because we don't see the heart. But that's what God saw. And obviously, uh, the magnitude of the flood, if we look at it, is significant enough that we must think it was that evil. What could lead God to systematically annihilate so many people? Uh, with such a huge act of judgement, incredible wickedness. And you can imagine that every form of social abuse and evil uh, was present in that day. And uh, I love this picture in particular. It's it's not too hard to imagine how this line through here, how these continents may have once been the one landmass that refers to in Genesis when God gathered all the land together and just the incredible forces that were at work in chapter 7 and 8 of Genesis when the, the fountains of the deep burst forth, the floodgates of the heavens are opened uh, and it says that all land uh, on the whole face of the earth was covered to a depth of 7.5 metres. Um, today we see massive mountains like um, Everest and uh, great valleys in the ocean, 11 kilometres deep. Uh, but at one stage before the flood, we understand that the earth would have had a flatter topography. Um, and so we see that the ark was a perfect vessel about the maximum you can get from a wooden ship it wasn't until the 1800s that a a bigger boat was built by by mankind than the ark 
And uh, this is actually a, a real life example of an ark that's been built in the Netherlands that actually floats around, uh, a life-sized replica, a little giraffe up the top there, a fake giraffe I think. Um, but if we just look at, because we're not covering Genesis 7 and 8 in detail, uh, if we look at the flood, this is an enormous event uh, defining human history, the greatest number of human and animal deaths in the Earth's history. Uh, Garth is saying, you know, possibly hundreds of millions of people, possibly billions. Uh, and in terms of climate change, just the incredible change that would have resulted from the, the um, loss of all vegetation, an ice age uh, potentially followed, uh, and just this incredible environmental change. And uh, so if you look at Genesis chapter 4, we read they developed things like the half, they developed um, metallurgy and so on. Here we see that in the flood, um, the reset buttons are pushed um, genetically, technologically, environmentally. That's uh, a fresh start. And I think a really scary world for Noah and his uh, family. Everything different. None of the, all the friends and family they knew were dead. Um, all the technology, everything was reset. And so now we come to Genesis chapter 9, um, today's passage, and it's really split up into two sections and I'm actually going to talk about them the opposite way, uh, starting with verses 18 to 27. Uh, and they're both foundational as, in, as is most of the content in these first 11 chapters of Genesis. Um, certainly the, the latter part of the chapter is more foundational from a history point of view and then uh, the, fir- the uh, first section which we'll do second um, is foundational for an, a number of reasons which we'll see. So our first passage just talks about the three sons of Noah coming out of the ark, Hem, Shem and Japheth and uh, from these three people come all the races of earth and so we see that uh, in Genesis chapter 10 and 11 um, they're actually the, the wrong way around in terms of time. Uh, Genesis 11 talks about the Tower of Babel. As a result of all the people gathering here with the Tower of Babel, God actually breaks up their languages uh, and spreads them throughout the earth uh, by means of that. And so in Genesis 10 we read that everyone had their own language uh, and they, they spread out. So Ham descended into the African continent mainly. Um, Japheth has by by far had the most descendants, um, Asia, Europe uh, and then Shem in the Arabian Peninsula here. And it's interesting to note in this little red box here, um, Canaan turns up in this passage quite a bit and that's where his descendants settled. He's one of the sons of Ham um, in modern day Israel or the in Old Testament times the promised land. But so I'm going to start from um, verse 20 here where Noah plants a vineyard uh, and then he gets drunk and he uh, is uncovered in his tent. And we see Ham, one of his sons, um, makes fun of this event um, and tells his two brothers uh, that Shem and Japheth uh, honour their father by going in backwards and um, with a garment across their shoulders so they don't uh, see their father's nakedness. And so it says here their faces are turned the other way so they would not see their father naked. The first thing I'd note from this and um, you'd say why did the Holy Spirit necessarily put this passage here? What are we supposed to gain from it? The first thing um, I think we look at in terms of understanding it is, is the issue of drunkenness. Um, the New Testament presents drunkenness as sinful. Um, 
alcohol uh, not so much, but drunkenness is a clear sin. And so, and we know that it leads to all kinds of evil. Uh, Australia as a society has a, has a problem with drunkenness. And so in Ephesians there, it looks really at sexual immorality, but all sorts of negligence and carelessness um, and abuse come from alcohol, um, violence. And in general, it just weakens our, our moral conviction and our, and our self-discipline and our self-control. But if we think about Noah, Noah didn't have a Bible, he didn't have the New Testament, couldn't read Ephesians. Uh, what did he have in terms of knowing what God required of him? Well, he had possibly what Adam and Eve had passed down through those ten generations um, from their knowledge, from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He had his own conscience um, and he also had experience before the flood. I'm pretty convinced that in 1,500 years before the flood they would have discovered alcohol and uh, its negative impacts. Uh, and so I think we can say definitely that Noah is guilty here. He's making an unwise choice. Um, but at the same sense, I don't think he carries the same weight of guilt that we would in the same situation uh, with our additional knowledge of God's requirements. We see here Noah's response. So he wakes up and finds out either from the two brothers or other people that were around um, what's been done by Ham. And it's interesting here, he uh, curses Canaan. You'd think he'd curse, curse Ham, but he doesn't. He curses Canaan, the son of Ham. Uh, and we see these other um, blessings given to Shem, from whom Abraham comes, from whom Jesus eventually comes. And so we could take this as reflective of that eventual promise of Jesus as Messiah. Uh, And we see Japheth, well, he's certainly been the most expansionist of the three brothers and taken over most of the earth. And in terms of population, he's he's dominated. Uh, But here, potentially, is a reference to um, the gospel, the good news about Jesus going out to Japheth. Um, But not super clear, but... Understanding this, I think this is a bit of a sidetrack, but I think for me um, in our culture it's interesting to consider the issue of nudity. Because uh, I think our culture would say, you know, no, don't take things so seriously. It seems a bit severe to curse someone to slavery um, just because they discovered you uh, naked. It was your fault for getting drunk in the first place. Um, and I lived at University College for four years with a lot of students and I had to discipline um, students with nudity and generally alcohol always went with it. But I think in our culture, um, nudity is, is laughable. It's common, oh, someone got drunk and, and uh, did a nudie run or this sort of thing. Um, and I think some of these areas in our culture really might influence on why we don't take this, the, the curse and Ham's behaviour as seriously as, as God and Noah took it. And um, another reason I think is pornography, um, possibly the most devastating influence on modern society in my mind, um, which really just dictates our cultural norms and our attitudes um, towards sexuality and and nudity. Um, Of course, there's movies and TV. Um, Some stats indicate that between 400 to 1,000% increases in nudity in television in recent years. and then we have fashion and advertising. And I think the real thing that fashion and advertising have done is, is take uh, nudity and sex from the private realm uh, where it belongs and put it in the public realm. And so if, if fashion's geared towards um, sexy rather than beautiful, 
Um, it's generally because of this is the way that fashion's pushed it. Whereas I can't see a biblical mandate for sexuality to go outside um, the private realm. And uh, as a segue, I think that's something that impacts us from young to old. Um, we find our kids being sexualised early um, by fashion, by what's on you know, advertising. Our young teens um, who are dating are struggling with sexual purity. Um, and so I'd say as a result of this, uh, keep your clothes on and hands off is the safest way before marriage. Um, and, I, and I think just in general, so when, when we bring this whole background to this passage, we go, oh, what was really the problem here with this nudity incident? But we saw that Adam and Eve in the garden, the very first evidence of human shame uh, was their nudity and their awareness of the problems that that could bring through their knowledge from the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. So then Noah, Noah's curse turns out not to be just a disgruntled old man, um, ashamed to be found out, but he says that Canaan, that small area in the promised land, uh, that becomes the promised land that Israel in the book of Judges and Joshua systematically conquers and annihilates under God's command, is the descendants of Canaan. And if you want to know just how depraved they are, if you look at Genesis 18, no form of sexual abuse or, or sin was uncommon to their society. If any sort of abuse you can imagine would have been there, they burnt their own children in, in fire as sacrifice to pagan um, gods. And so we find that these descendants of Canaan um, are, are known in the, in the ancient world as uh, seriously evil people. And, and Noah's words 800 years later come true when Israel goes in uh, and enslaves and um, kills those people as a judgement. God says to Abraham, I'm going to judge the Amorites. Uh, the screams of their wickedness are coming up before me and, but it's going to be another 400 years. The full measure of their sin hasn't been reached yet. And so we see that Noah's words are prophetic. They're true. They're from the Spirit because they come true 800 years later. And as an application here, um, thinking about Ham's response here to this problem of nudity, it's almost like he, he doesn't care about sin, he doesn't care about God's moral standards and that's the real problem. The real problem is that Ham mocks his father's nakedness, his father's sin uh, and it's no big deal to him. Of course, Ham was alive a uh, hundred years before the flood and most likely took on a lot of the evil uh, that, that was there before the flood. Uh, and certainly it seems that here that Canaan's old enough that Noah can see the rotten moral character of his son Ham in his grandson Canaan and hence curses Canaan, not maliciously but just cursed are you Canaan because of the character you're developing, cursed are you because of the, of the behaviour that you're evidencing in your life. And I wonder what our response to human shame and sinfulness is. Uh, do we just do we take sin seriously as Christians? Do we see sin in our own lives and in others and, and treat it like um, Japheth and Shem did? Um, respectfully knowing the problems there but not trying to laugh about it or make it, make it um, go away just by mocking it. Um, and I think that applies to other people we see with problems in society as well. Do we judge them? Do we mock them? Or do we understandingly get alongside them and try and support them and help them dealing with their own fallenness. And just a couple of quick side notes out of here. Um, these passages of 
been used to support um, slavery at the height of the slave trade. They said, oh well, um, you know, all hands descendants went down into Africa. Surely the fact that he's cursed as a slave means we can um, build our modern world class economies on their backs. Uh, but we note in this passage that Canaan specifically was cursed, not Ham, uh, and Canaan was enslaved. So it's talking about a subset of Ham's descendants, not Ham himself. Uh, and then racism is the other um, truth that I'd bring out of this passage as an application that if any of you are racist, um, if I'm ever racist, um, you have no biblical support for the idea. Uh, we're all descended from the same three brothers, so we're, we're all um, universal brotherhood of mankind in that regard. And really, um, racism is a false idea that comes out of evolution that people over here are more advanced because we evolved over here first and then we spread over there and so on. So, really just debunking that idea. The next part here, um, God blesses Noah and his sons. We're really looking now at the first part of the passage and uh, we saw the, the covenant of the, of the rainbow, um, God saying, I'm not going to destroy mankind again um, and he makes this covenant with all mankind and also all animals as well. And I want to spend a little bit of time this morning thinking about this foundational issue of God's covenant and God's relationship with mankind. I won't read these passages in the interest of time uh, that Andy has read for us that we're looking at verses um, 1 onwards. And So the first thing that God gives here to Noah and his sons, this is a brand new start. Um, he had established with Adam the context of what was happening uh, in the world but obviously the flood has occurred, um, it's a fresh start and God lays down this new framework so twice in this chapter 9 he says be fruitful and multiply similarly to how he said it to Adam um, but they're vegetarians no more we understand for the first 1500 years uh, and they lived a long time so who says vegetarianism is no good for you um, a thousand years on veggies uh, and it's possible that some people uh, sinfully ate meat that God certainly hadn't given them permission to uh, but here a fear of man's introduced to the animals it's great for both parties because there's not many people and there's a, a lot of animals um, so introducing this natural fear uh, helped both parties survive because man's chasing animals to eat them um, but there's a natural fear. We see here don't eat the blood and uh, at, at the most basic level um, this is about God's right over life that all life belongs to God and he's sovereign over it but I also wonder um, that it points forward to the, to the use of animals um, in sacrifice and Leviticus 17.11 makes that clear. It says that God has um, given uh, or people are not to eat the blood because it's given to them to make atonement uh, for their sin under the Old Testament, Old Covenant. Uh, And then we see the introduction of government and justice. Um, Before the flood, huge amounts of violence. Um, Possibly Lamech was taken by violence. He didn't live as long as the others uh, and died five years before the flood but I think it would be hard for us to understand just how much violence there was before the flood. Um, 1 Peter 3, when it talks about Noah and the ark, um, suggests that God was delaying the judgement of the flood, even though it was overdue, um, so that the ark could be completed and so that some could be saved. Um, 
But here we see the death penalty introduced and any theological discussion of the death penalty starts here uh, and I'm not going to get into that in detail um, but we see it introduced here for the first time. And then it goes on to um, God making a covenant with Noah. Of course at the end of chapter 8 we saw that um, Noah had made an altar, sacrificed some of all the clean animals on it um, and God had smelt that uh, and been pleased with the sacrifice of Noah. Uh, and he'd also said, though, realistically, that humankind is evil from their youth. Uh, I'm not going to destroy things again, not based on mankind's new start or righteousness, because we already see in both Noah and Ham and Canaan that that wasn't the case, that mankind had changed their evil ways after the flood. Uh, but we see that. Um, God makes an unconditional covenant not to destroy the world by flood again. So it might rain heavily but never again will it cover the earth. And so we see the rainbow. I basically just want to look at a couple of ways that people um, historically have looked at the issue of God's relationship with man. Um, So we could say how does the Bible tie these themes together? How can we understand God's relationship uh, to man throughout human history and uh, I'm going to go through two, two of the main um, ways that people understand that and then I'm going to uh, summarise what I think are some important points. So dispensationalism is uh, our denomination generally holds this position but there's a, there's a lot of variety out there obviously but this um, looks at the Bible in a, in a series of ages or times or dispensations Um, such as listed down here. Um, Note the last one there is my own take (laughs) because that's not in the official um, book. So Adam, for example, how did he relate to God before the fall? Um, Through innocence. So he didn't have the law or didn't have... So this looks at um, basically breaking human history into a bunch of different time periods where God's relationship with mankind... um, built on a progressive revelation of God and his will uh, and mankind's relationship with God was governed in different ways. I'm not going to dwell on this a lot, just to know that it's out there. And um, the other main system is covenant theology, which generally reformed um, theology uh, ties in with and uh, Presbyterians and Anglicans um, often hold this position. Um, which basically says that the whole human history can be, and God's relationship to mankind through history can be summed up with three covenants. So this covenant of redemption is one that was made um, by God among the Trinity agreeing to rescue man from his sin. Uh, this covenant of works really only held for Adam. Um, so Adam was in this contract or covenant or promise with God that he would um, do what God commanded, not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil uh, and he would live forever. That's a a brief covenant and then the covenant of grace then covers all the other covenants with Abraham and David and Noah, uh, New Testament believers etc under this framework. So God's covenant with Noah here um, is part of this covenant of grace. God's covenant with Abraham uh, in the New Testament, the New Covenant is also part of this one uh, overriding covenant of grace. I think both these systems um, have some weaknesses and strengths um, in how they look at 
God's relationship with man. But where I think it really comes down to, and I've been um, reading Hebrews as well, it seems to me that the Bible paints an even simpler picture than those two systems of understanding God's relationship with man uh, in that I, I read Hebrews, it puts a lot of emphasis on an old covenant and a new covenant, the first covenant and the second covenant. And we see that um, if, if Noah's in heaven, and I believe he will be because of um, his, his mention in Hebrews 11, um, it will be because God, in his grace, left Noah's sin unpunished because he was going to punish Christ for it. And if Adam's in heaven, it will be because God in his grace and forbearance, looked over Adam's sin and said, I'm going to punish Christ for it. And us today, we live in the same regard. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ has come. He's given him himself as a sacrifice for our sins on the cross so that even though we have done great wickedness, God is our, has provided Jesus as our perfection as the one who justifies those who have faith in him. Um, so we're no less evil or more evil than Noah was um, but we're united in this same reference frame of Jesus being our sacrifice for sin. So all the Old Testament development from um, Noah's altar through to um, all the sacrifices in the Old Testament through to Jesus as the final sacrifice for sin, um, it's all united um, in Christ as a sacrifice. And so, really the whole hinge of your relationship with God, um, the whole basis for it, the whole foundational question you need to ask is your relationship to Jesus Christ. And so we read this in John chapter 3. Whoever believes in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath, his anger, remains on them. And as, as, as an application here, I'd ask every one of us, have we believed in the Son? Are we trusting the Lord Jesus Christ to be our sacrifice for sin? If you're, if you're relying on your own goodness, your works of faith, church attendance, um, being a good bloke or a, or a, or a good lady, um, it's not going to cut it. Whoever rejects Jesus Christ, the Son, will not see light will not see life and God's anger remains on them. And uh, so I want to pray for us and uh, before I do that I'll just quickly summarise what we looked at today. So we saw um, Ham's sinful response to Noah's sin uh, that he mocked, that he didn't take sin seriously and we we can learn from that, uh, that God does take sin seriously. The flood's the the single greatest evidence of that if if not what he did to his own son on the cross um, being similarly or a greater evidence but God takes sin seriously uh, and we should as well Uh, and we saw that this passage shaped human history through the spreading of the nations after uh, the three sons of Noah and then finally we see that God's relationship with man whether through the rainbow promising not to destroy us even though we deserve it um, through all the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, to our position today hinges back to Jesus Christ and and our relationship to him, whether we trust him, whether we live our lives with him as our saviour, with him as our king. And so I want to pray for us as we, as we think about that um, going away from today.
Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for um, this amazing series we've been doing through Genesis, Lord. Uh, 11 chapters covering um, almost 2,000 years, a third of human history, Lord. And they, they're very instructive, even though there's a lot of gaps and a lot of things we don't know, uh, a lot of uh, blanks that we can't fill in. Lord, as we consider this um, account of Noah and his sons that you've given us to us this morning, uh, we just want to take on board the lessons we can learn from it, Father. Uh, help us not to be like Ham, who reflected a, a pre-flood um, wickedness in his response to sin. Help us to be gracious and understanding toward other people's sin uh, and also ruthless towards our own sin, Lord. Help us to deal with it. Help us to take it seriously. Uh, we see that you took it seriously with the flood. Father, uh, we also pray that we might respond properly to your son. We know that you have given him to us as the full revelation uh, and perfect revelation of who you are, Father. He is perfect and he has in his perfect life uh, and death on the cross and resurrection um, to life has made it possible for us to be covered in his perfection, covered in his righteousness, covered by his perfect blood as a sacrifice for all our wickedness. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning um, who's never placed their trust in Jesus, who is trying to live their life uh, with themselves as king, themselves on the throne. Um, I pray they will consider um, what we've studied this morning. I pray that you will show them in their heart um, that they need Christ. And Lord, for those of us who have trusted Jesus um, to be our saviour, to be the sacrifice in our place, Father, I just pray that we would continue to grow, to honour him, to be more like him, uh, to be obedient uh, to all that you've asked us, Father, and that we might bring him glory through our lives uh, as the ruler over all creation uh, and as the one to whom every knee will bow in some future coming time, Father. And we just pray all these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.